This is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're in Cape Town, South Africa, talking to David Brudrick and Johan Visser about building teams that multiply movements. So when I got involved in disciple-making movements, um, I, I kind of followed the pattern that I'd been taught by the guys that taught me. That you, so you copy the process, not just not just the content. And the process that a lot of those guys followed, like David Watson, was get as many people in the room as possible, train them all, and then send them out and hope that somebody does something. And um, uh, after a few years, I realized that that was, that was really not bearing much fruit. Um, in fact, overwhelmingly, you know, people were not actually doing it. And so um, I began to reevaluate and look at it. And what I realized was people were not rejecting what we were telling them about DMM. They were actually very excited. In fact, months, even years later, they were still super excited. They just didn't have the capacity to actually flesh it out. And so um, there was nothing wrong with what we were saying or the content of what we were saying. There was something wrong with the system that we were building that wasn't delivering, to use that language. And so um, I went back and basically read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And um, in that began to realize that probably the first thing that Jesus actually does, the actual first substantial thing that Jesus does is he calls a team. Um, he turns water into wine and tells his mother that the time isn't right. This is premature. Uh, he goes into the desert and gets tempted, but then he comes back and, and one of the very, he does it right up front. He doesn't do it later. Right up front. He calls a team, and and we know it's a team and not a church that he calls because he calls them with a mission. Um, he doesn't say come into church with me. He says come. I'm going to make you fishers of men. So he gives them a a mandate and a vision. And the people that he calls are not uh, super equipped. They're not um, powerful leaders. They're not. He calls really ordinary people. And then for three years, we watched this process of him making disciples. So he's training his team. And um, began to realize that, the, that what Jesus does is he calls these ordinary people. Um, there, was, there was a level of something there because they were business people. They were, you know, fishermen and tax collectors. And so they, in some ways, they were leaders. They were doers. They were action-oriented. But... He calls them and he gives them this mission. And then for three years, his team is really a training environment. So um, it's not so much task-orientated as it's uh, training-orientated. And, uh, you know, he does various things. He sends them out. He brings them back. They try to cast out a demon. They can't. He comes along and helps them. And so um, we began to realize the importance of team and how important it is to not just give people the way to do it, but to also give them the system in which they can accomplish it, which is team. And so we made a shift, um, quite a big shift about two years ago, and we said we're going to stop delivering the DMM content as a training, and we're going to begin building teams that are not um, 
action-orientated experts that know how to do DMM. They're broken, ordinary people that are in a learning environment towards becoming uh, DMM leaders. And so um, that was the journey. That's really been the journey that we've been on. At the same time, I was asking the Lord, how do we how do we get DMM moving in cities? And um, we we really had very few answers in the beginning. We've now got fewer answers, but um, we we were on that journey. And I said to the Lord, "What do we do? Where do I start?" And we began to get some answers, and I said, "Where do we go? Where do we put this into practice?" And I felt the Lord saying, "Go home, start in your lounge." And so, you know, at that stage I was traveling a lot, and so my first thought was, let's go out there and teach this. And the Lord said, no, go back and start in your lounge and do it. And so we started the first team, and we started with a group of people in our in our home. And um, that formed into several teams and started to grow and started to expand. And we began to learn how to roll out disciple-making movements with teams as the base rather than training events as the base. And that, that's been the journey that we've been on for probably just over two years now. In that process, Johan and I met. Um, Johan doesn't have a ministry background. He's got a project management engineering background. And um, Johan's kind of a very systematic thinker. I'm all over the place. I'm very confused half the time. And um, so he's really helped me, and I think we've helped each other, and we, we disagree a lot and we argue a lot and um, in those discussions and wrestling together in teams we've, we've really discovered um, some things that have helped us to build teams together there are a lot of principles that guide our teams that there are less tactics so um, right or wrong we don't have a set of tactics at the moment or, or we can't say you know do these five things every week um, it's not really so much about how we do it. It's really about the values behind what we do that drive it. So a lot of our team meetings are, we used one team in particular, an example, which is a citywide team. And um, when we began to build for the whole city, we said, what's it going to take? And we realized that for us, it's going to take a whole day a week to build their team. And so the team started to meet on a Tuesday the whole day. And people say, what on earth did you do for a whole day? The first four hours were pre. And so um, we would basically get together and start a conversation. And the conversation is, so what, what's happening? What's happening in your life? What's happening with your wife? What's happening in your family? So we're, we're preempting all those things the enemy uses to destroy the work, which is very seldom out there. It's very usually in here or amongst us. And we just spend time praying for each other. So four hours just four hours. So, so sort of like a check-in and, and pastoral prayer. Well, no, not just pastoral prayer. So it would move to praying for the work or where are we stuck or what is the vision or where do we need to break into or which groups are failing or which groups are succeeding which leads so we, we're praying for each other but we're also praying out there we're praying into all of that are these teams full-time christian workers no this team this team was uh, when i when i say this not all teams meet like that okay so this was a team for the whole city 
Um, no, we had business people in there that literally reorientated their lives and said, we'll do business the other four or five days, but we're going to set the side day aside. It was a school teacher that basically said, I'm not teaching that day. You know, that's not practical everywhere. I mean, there's no ways. So we have we have other teams that'll meet for an hour a week, or you know that kind of thing. But, but this was the core team that we knew, um, kind of holds this, the whole work in the city together. So, so basically, if the enemy comes after this team, all the work crumbles. There's no ways that we're saying that you can only do this by spending a whole day a week together. What we are saying is you cannot build a team without significant time investment. I think that's, that's how it started off, because we invited people. All of us, what, what David was saying, was always on an invitational manner. So we invite people, we say, we're on this journey to reach Gauteng, 13.2 million people. <coughs> are, you, do you, are you interested? Do you want to come with? So we invite them to the journey. Um, and really allow the Holy Spirit to to do that that work um, and then it's so it's never forcing people it's opening up we created the space said we're gonna meet if you want we're there that time every Tuesday you're welcome to join in so and then people came and then what hooked them was I guess it's it's God but it's it starts off with a vision it's vision casting that, that's the invitation but it doesn't stop there it's it's so much it's more vision casting, but it must be at least a core group of people who will be at that meeting. Yeah. You can't just say, you know, I'm going to advertise people who are interested in someone's prom show for this room. It's, you know. it's vision casting and then relational. It is the people yeah, that so we started off initially was was people that we had relationships right. with. Right. So it's so then we invite them and then they they did the same. They went and that's how Tabojo. We I had a meeting with Tabojo. Tabojo brought along Africa. They had the relationship. And then the next week, they brought in Ponzo, because Africa had a relationship with Ponzo. So it's very similar to, to our groups. You, you start with, with a person, and he, bring, he or she brings in someone else. So the team the same. It's relational, vision casting, and then because we start talking and, and in our team meetings, it's, it's constantly the, it's, it's, it's the same values, the same principles, like in a small group. You invite conversation. So I'm asking Jacob, what do you think? If, if he doesn't participate, and we had that initially with those guys, um, because it's young, young people, and it was predominantly um, black, South Africans. Kind of in their 30s. 19 to 29, that's, that's the age group that they are. And because of the racial tension in South Africa, so immediately when, when they came in, they was like quiet. But we in, constantly, we just kept on asking, okay, Ponsa, so what do you think? What do you think we should do? So it's the same principles, inviting them to the conversation. And that's, that's part of their testimony. At the end of, we, we started all this with, with this actual team, specifically last year, August. And by December last year, we, we had an open conversation as part of our team meeting. We, we said, let's do a SWOT analysis. Let's talk about this. What, what's, what's good? What doesn't work? What, what would you, going on to the next year, what would you like to change? And every single one of us said, the Tuesday meeting, we should not change. We should do this. Every one of them changed so that they now, in the conversation, we, we don't even have to ask them anymore. They, they participate because it's a forum where 
these we are all equals we are all the same so it's not this hierarchy uh, it's only this person so it that, that's what team this process creates that openness so anyone you can at any time share anything that's on your heart bring your challenge openness with one another honesty that's what we encourage but it's values that we that we transfer so it's not a lot of couple of things that we just what are, what are some of those other core values you're talking about that, that creates that space for to have all that relationship and vision? Well, it's, DM, it's DMM values. It is multiplication. It's replication. It's pouring your life into the other. It's caring for one another. It's it's all of those those DMM core values. So, so someone shows up in your team meeting and they love the community. They get prayed for. They get to open up. But other than that, they're not really interested. Like they, you know, they'll say they're interested, but they they're not doing any multiplication. They're not. What's the so we you know because it's in done in team. And we challenge one another with what's happening, what's happening in your life, what are you doing, the obedience, because that's DMM, it's all obedience based, it's not talk. So that within the team, the team will actually challenge that person, and that person then might decide, okay, this is not, not a comfortable place to be, and they will move. But it's the team, it's not done by a, a person. So we, we don't do selections. We don't say, okay, this guy and this guy, because we most of the time we do the wrong choices anyway. In the in the movement, there are multiple structures. But so we've got gatherings like churches. If if it's a bro- if I'm sitting with someone and they're broken and they're hurting and they, I used the example in a previous thing. You're sitting with a lady that's been raped by seven men and she's really destroyed. And I'm not going to invite her to the team. Yeah. I'm going to invite her to one of the gatherings or the churches, mm-hmm. or I'm going to invite her to one of the discovery groups. Okay. Um, so we're. At the, on the upfront, it, it is it's open invite, like everybody can come. But we're not just going around recruiting everybody to the team. There's multiple places to connect. So um, if I'm sitting with you, I might say, well, come and join the city team. This is the vision. This is who we are. I'm sitting with you. I might say, well, you know, there's there's another place where you can connect. So we're connecting people in a different places. I'm wondering if you if you were going into a totally new context, or if you can think back to when you didn't have this baseline of relationships or something like what are the first few steps one does to start to create the relationships to form the teams yeah so so i think jesus jesus process i mean he um he goes and gets tested so he goes through the fire and that's the very first thing that will happen when you move to a new area or new community you're going to go through some spiritual warfare and testing and all the rest of it he he goes pretty wide from to every town and village healing the sick and casting out demons so he goes pretty wide and costs his vision of the kingdom of heaven and and so um you, you're going to spread pretty wide and then he starts hand-picking people and, and, and inviting them in you know um won't you come and join the team and one of those instances he prays all night about who those people are and he picks some people that aren't the right people. And, you know, there are some, or maybe they are the right people, but they're not what we would have picked. Yeah, he's constantly inviting, constantly bringing people in. He's casting the vision for the kingdom. And he is hand-picking certain people and bringing them closer. Yeah. And I, it's all of that. So I think that if you think, if you see team building in isolation to everything else, it's going to be very difficult. Like I'm arriving here, and the first thing, all I've got to do is build a team. Who do you who do you get? Where do you get them? It, it doesn't work. 
um, it's the whole picture. It's the whole picture of casting the vision for the king, for the kingdom, doing ministry, uh, connecting with people, and then start saying, okay, um, what what's next? I got a couple of radical Christians that want to change this community. There's a team. I got a bunch of broken people that really need help. Maybe that's a group. I've got a group of Christians that really aren't going to do very much, but they could be very supportive of what we're doing. Maybe that's the form of, a, of, of that's the first gathering, whatever it is. So for us, it's not a linear process. It's about about casting the vision, looking at where we are with people, and then beginning to organize it into those structures that will help you to build movement. I think when we started, I didn't want to get down, and I know there's wisdom in everybody must be successful first and then try and build a team together with those successful people. The problem with that is the success was birthed in individualism, and now you're going to try to bring them together. It's actually very difficult. Um, people are more likely to form teams when they realize they need each other than when they think they can do it alone. And and so when we built the team, we, we didn't just go to the guys that were successful. We went to the guys that had the vision and that were implementing and that were failing and that were struggling. And we said, you can do better if these three people are working with you and supporting you. And, and so a big part of building team is the guys see the need for team because they have this DMM vision and they're failing and they don't know how and they don't know what they're doing wrong and they're really needing support. That's the point at which you can build a team with that guy. But the guy who's doing it and he's going well and he thinks he's you know great, but it's all built around him and his personality, he's not likely to form a team with you. So the way, the way that we build, and again, that's a philosophy of ministry that doesn't have to be adopted by everyone, but the way that we do it, yeah. is the organization is secondary to the movement. Uh, we build movement, and when we need to, the organization serves the, the gap. In those invites that you make to people to be part of that city team, if you just look at that city team as a core, right. what else are you looking at knowing that this is a person to be invited, this is a person that, okay, one, value added both ways, or like, that this would be a fit? What are those pieces that need to fit together for a core? Yeah, so there's a personal ke chemistry between them and us and, and the team. There's a, a, a vision. They catch the vision. Um, they, they, they start stuff. You know, I was speaking to someone the other day in America, and um, he introduced himself as a pastor of a church. I'm speaking in Skype. And within minutes, I realized this guy's way beyond a pastor. Because he's, he's, he's saying, you know, well, I've started this jazz club, and I've started this, you know, other thing, and I've started this. In, within the first five minutes, he'd mentioned like 10 entities that he'd started. So you're looking for apostolic gifting? Looking for apostolic gifting, for a city team, yeah. And um, I'm just describing it, trying to describe it practically. And um, so I'm, I'm looking for that, definitely. I'm looking for a, a starter, a self-driver, a self-motivated person. I think one thing came up in the previous group, and that's addressing issues head on and and right up you know uh, who was it Luke brought up the racist racism issue and you know because our teams are mixed race and so um, how do you deal with that and the answer was well, you put it on the table you don't avoid it um, you address it and so we've we've done that we've spent entire days wrestling with racism and um, 
had the different races break up into groups, say, what do you think of the other group? Brought them together, wrestled with it. We got to the end of the day, and the, the, the black guys in the room looked at us white guys and said, we have a problem. We said, what? They said, you haven't been honest with us. Mm. And we, then we had to face that. And then one of the white guys reacted, and we had to face that. So we deal with it head on. Um, and so dealing with issues head on is, I think, is is very very important. Um, I think creating a, a an atmosphere of freedom where um, our unity is not based on agreement is 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 very very important. So in the power structures of of Africa, you don't disagree with the leader. You just keep quiet. You can't build teams that way. You have to create an environment where um, disagreement is encouraged. Um, that, that open disagreement and even arguing. I mean, we've had guys walk into our team meetings that halfway through think we're, the, we're mortal enemies. We're disagreeing so, so strongly. And and then we have lunch and we're laughing together and they can't figure it out. Um, so creating that environment where it's safe to to talk is very very important. Um, and I think the other thing, and I don't know if you've got anything to add to that, but the other thing is, I said in the previous one, the personal security in the heart of the leader is, is critical. If the if the leader of the team the person who starts it is in any way insecure, and we all are, then um, that insecurity comes out. So we, what happens is we become defensive. So we were sitting here on the previous one, and Luke raises an issue, and he says, you know, there's this, this, this race is issue. And I said to him, the moment you say that, and you're kind of accusing our team of being racist, I already want to be def defensive. I already want to push back and argue and, and hide you from everyone and say, don't say that here. That, that, that there will destroy a team. And so the leader has to learn to overcome that and, and say, you know, I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to try and push something. I'm going to have faith that if we put it on the table and talk about it openly, that God's answer will emerge and it may not be my preference but it'll be God's answer and, and that I think is a, is a critical component is that the team leader the team leader is threatened or defensive you've destroyed the team to what point do you lead the team to exist independently? when you have another leader trained <laughs> So when you start, you don't have a person in mind who is going to be the leader. Um, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. We begin to, we begin to lead together with others quite early. So, let's say in a team like this, um, I would try very early on. I, I don't want to give a time frame, but then, but very early on. I would try and identify the potential people. And let's say Jacob is a potential leader here. I'll phone Jacob and say, let's meet an hour or two before the, before the meeting. And then I'd sit with Jacob and I'd say, what do you think we should do today in the meeting? And I'd start asking him questions. By the second, third week after that, I'm asking Jacob to lead a part of the meeting. So I'm handing leadership away the whole time. But the way he leads is he facilitates discussion. He doesn't preach. He doesn't talk. He, he facilitates discussion. 
30 odd years of ministry, yes, I've seen lots of teams go off the rails. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And it's it's usually, it, I mean, there's, there's, there's just a couple of things that the enemy uses to destroy it, you know. Um, there, there aren't too many tricks in his bag, there really aren't. It's greed, it's lust, it's disunity, um, it, uh, mistrust, uh, unforgiveness. There's just a few little tricks that he uses over and over and over. Um, so when you're building a team, you've got to be aware of all those things. And the ones you can preempt are the disunity and the the stuff that he does in darkness, where the one, you know, builds up an offense against the other. Those you can preempt and you can start working um, against. But we talk about the other stuff. We talk about money. We talk about um, sexual things. We talk about so we bring we bring the different teams at a similar level together, and we do peer adaptive learning with them. So it used to be that I'd say, "This is how you do DMM: step one, step two, step three, step four. Follow these five steps, and you'll be successful." I figured out that there's no five steps that'll make someone successful. That especially in in South Africa, the environment is so complex and so diverse that there are no five steps that will make it work. And so what we've begun to do is to take that team and have all the members interact with all the members of that team and all the members of this team and then move back to their teams to debrief and say, what did we learn? So what we've begun to do is to create a whole learning movement and then capture that. So we we let them learn, we capture what they're learning, and then we disseminate that back. So instead of... um, you know, saying these are the things and don't change them. We're saying change it all, but change it from what's happening on the ground. Share it, and we'll learn from you and communicate it back to you. So the movement over the last two years has become a learning system. So you don't do the DMM training uh, events. So how do people find out about DMM? We do the DMM vision events, which is which is a little bit more compact, and it and it's kind of here's the vision. This is what it's about. We download all the stuff fast with no expectation that they're actually going to go do something, but we do the event to identify the people we're going to work with and begin building teams with. So that's helpful because in the past where I'd spend five days training and then get frustrated, no one does anything. Now I can spend one day or half a day just casting vision, describing it identifying the right people and uh, we call it training because people respond to the word training but it's not training at all it's really vision casting and and the other way that we find people is through networking so our, we, networking we, we got to the place where there's enough critical mass and there's enough momentum that this guy leads you to that guy, that guy leads you to that guy, and you can get into a country without doing a training and, and meet the right people. So, But that comes later as you've got that critical mass. So just a practical question, how does the funding work then? If it's not an organization, it's this community of volunteers, is it, is it the sort of thing where God interests people with means and their conviction for the vision means that they are willing to... To, to give, which that you would then sort of distribute among the network? Is that how it works, or is it some other thing? Well, it, for a start, the funding isn't centralized. So it, we've got one entity, but there are other entities involved. Um, so for earlier this year, we did an Africa meeting. Uh, there were five 
There were seven. There were seven organisations that provided the funding in partnership for that for that meeting. And so uh, we had OC International involved. We had foundations involved. We have, so we we'd still take the lead, and we'd put some funding into it. But then we'd approach these other organisations and say, listen, this is what we're doing. You're working with us. Your people are working with us. Uh, we want you to fund their travel, their expenses, but we want you to go beyond that. We'd like you to put $2,000, $3,000 into this conference. And they do, because there's a trust relationship. So then we bring all that together, that we put that on, that empowers us then to train those teams and send them out again. So the funding's not centralized uh, in the movement, which makes it highly resilient. In other words, you can take me out. You, you literally can remove me, and it'll just keep going. It's highly, highly resilient. You can take our whole organization out of the picture. It'll keep going. To find out more about David Brudery, visit AccelerateTraining.org. This has been Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. <laughs>